Hello, my name is Sean Prober, and I'm here with George McMillan, and we thought we'd go through the World Economic Forum's highlights. It's a international, non-governmental, and lobbying organization based in Colony um, of Geneva, Switzerland. It was uh, founded in the 70s, and it's, I think the best way I would describe it is a collection of politicians and businessmen who are attempting to justify authoritative <laughs> governance across the world. And uh, th this is a few highlights. So we, we start off with uh, Tony Blair. And I think there are some politicians that most of us have heard enough of decades ago. Um, but yet, like an energizer bunny uh, pulling, pushing nonsense, Tony Blair continues to make his way to these kind of events and uh, continue to talk despite most of the world not really wanting that. So let's hear what you need to know who's been vaccinated and who hasn't been. Some of the vaccines that will come on down the line will be multiple. There'll be multiple shots. So you've got to have for, for reasons to do with the healthcare more generally, but certainly for a pandemic or for, um, for, for vaccines, you've got to have a proper digital infrastructure. And many countries don't have that. In fact, most countries don't have that. Now, I thought the key, the key sentence that I, I got out of that was, quote, some of the vaccines down the line. And I, I think that kind of continues with most of these clips that there's a, a tremendous amount of of prophesizing in these videos. And it would seem as though there's a plan that we might, as the lumpen proletariat, be be aware of uh, with, with these elites. Uh, what, what are you thinking, George? Uh, I mean, there's uh, a bunch of problems with this. I mean, the first one is he's starting to collect medical data on everybody. If you have someone's DNA profiles or biometrics profiles, you can start tracking their whereabouts all over the world. So he's not looking how one thing leads to another as far as state versus individual uh, privacy rights. Then the other thing that's, it's, it's building a big, huge um, medical database on, on everyone. You know, that's, that's problematic as far as the privacy rights goes. And there's a lot more involved in the WEF it looks like there's basically about three or about four universities in the world that really concentrate on grand strategies courses. And they're overwhelmingly the people that are um, chosen into the intelligence community, whether it's in the United States or you know, Oxford with, uh, with, with MI6 or GHHQ. Right. So it's, it's more than just an elite group of businessmen it's an alliance between the intel communities and the business people. I believe that you could describe almost all of these clips as uh, an attempt to explain a mitigation of rights uh, in some regard. Uh, in, in this one, as you said, with the medical privacy, uh, these are intellectualizations to reduce the rights of everybody in, in the entire world. Yeah, I mean, in. The case that really brought it up, because uh, you know Tim and I talked about it for decades now. What's really brought this up is when um, Alexander Downer and those people went after George Papadopoulos, again right in that community, 
Ted Malik was also a professor. He landed at Logan. He had his electronic devices confiscated. They went after Paul Manafort, but they didn't go after John Podesta. Um, they went after Roger Stone, and then all of uh, all of Trump's attorneys, which is, you know, they got rid of attorney-client privilege, obviously, by going after Michael Cohen. Uh, they spied on Giuliani on because they were reading his confidential notes that he put on the cloud, on uh, on Apple iCloud. Yeah, they were going for Trump even before the election, right? Yeah. So, right, right. And it was, okay, where we got the next one up? <laughs> yeah, so speaking of politicians that we had hoped to forget uh, over a decade ago, uh, we jumped to Al Gore, who, who has made a fiery, fiery appearance here uh, with this typical brand of hellfire and brimstone politics. So let, let's hear what, uh, what the old VP has to say the droughts and melting the ice and raising the sea level and causing these waves of climate refugees predicted to reach one billion in this century. Look at the xenophobia and political authoritarian trends that have come from just a few million refugees. What about a billion? We would lose our capacity for self-governance on this world. We have to act. So in answer to your question, I would say we have to have a sense of urgency much greater than we have yet had, and we need have had, and we need to make some changes. So, as you can see, there there is a theme that sums up the World Economic Forum, and that's a group of these kind of elites that believe they know better than you. And this is the perfect example. Now, the the part that irked me the most was when Gore talks about xenophobia and the authoritarian response to the past decades of migration. He's talking about a scenario where nearly every Western government was told to accept massive increases in immigration, despite the fact that the vast majority of the people in all these public, um, all these states, were completely opposed to it. I think that's the definition uh, of authoritarian, to go completely away from what your people want and to know better than and to push to use people. Uh, when you look through the studies all throughout Europe, the flow of migrants causes a, a direct uh, response and that and that's um people not wanting to advocate for social programs as much uh the amount that uh, a country wants to support social programs is directly linked to to migrants and it, it seems like it makes everybody a little bit more uh anti-socialist uh with, with it so what do you think george well, Al Gore's statement is just, it's a jumble of things that um, aren't causally connected by the way he's talking about. The pressures, it took, uh, it, depending on how you want to measure it, if you want to start talking about the technology and population growth problem, it took a billion years or whatever for to get a billion people on the planet by 1804. After we had a billion people on the planet in 1804, now we have close to 8 billion people on the planet. So it's a logarithmic growth rate over the last 200 plus years. Almost 80% of the population growth increase is in Latin America, principally Central America, uh, North Africa, Sahel and, and Sub-Saharan Africa, and of course, Southern Asia. 
so in that case, you have the first world countries are have a population growth that's relatively evil, uh, e even I should say evil, even, and their economic growth has been steady. Under those cases, all the first world countries would have, all the first and second world countries would have become first world countries without, um, without third world immigration. So instead of third world countries moving up to second or third with population growth, more and more of these countries are actually falling into fourth world failed states and will continue to do so. So actually, rather than bringing them up, the first world countries are actually starting to slide down towards third and fourth world failed states instead, because it's an equilibrium between economic growth and population growth. Economic growth is still linear, relatively linear, and population growth globally is logarithmic. So under those cases, our global wage labor right, uh, la wage labor rates is going to be plummeting. There's going to be income disparity globally, along with the climate change problem. So he doesn't know how to address, he doesn't know how to break down the problems in that statement. So then he doesn't know how to address each one. And then we'll get into the World Economic Forum solution later. Now, when he uh, when he talks about getting over it and making this adjustment, it seems like with the threat of a billion people coming over to to the West uh, in increasing numbers, when that that really seems like that would be the end of culture, uh, the end of the Western culture. Yeah, the the way I like to talk about that is you have the two primary primary trends of technology and population growth over time. Um, and then you have the two secondary trends of jobs moving south where the cheap labor is, and then the mass migration north. That's what's, we're going through a global wage labor equilibrium process. And part of that equilibrium process is the migration of jobs south and people north. It's gonna even out. So that would have a tendency to make everything a second or third world country except the fact that it's a declining equilibrium rate. So everything is tending towards third and fourth world failed states. I've been talking about for years, you'll, eventually you'll have a cascading set of uh, bankruptcies among the liberal democracies. And you have to look at the, at the countries that are most indebted first. So I'm looking for a cascading set of bankruptcies in the third world and mass migration to, to cause them in the first world. Very interesting. So here we have our, our UN Secretary General Gutierrez. And something I've noticed about these specifically UN Secretary Generals, whether we're talking about uh, Ban Ki-moon or we're talking about Kofi Annan, there is constantly dialogue coming from that, that specific platform about just how horrible free speech is. All of them have attacked platforms, including our social media ones on Facebook, uh, and in general, the American First Amendment. And you can see the literature on each and every one of them. So this is a, a very consistent theme uh, here. So when we have um, Moon uh, coming now, uh, he, he kind of repeats exactly the lines uh, that, that we were talking about. So we can get to that. understand. And sometimes we are faced with these kind of challenges. 
it is better to take today decisions that will eventually be not popular, but it will be essential to be able to shape the public opinion itself. Well, there, there we have our theme again, right? Uh, yeah. We, we know better than you, and uh, even though you don't, might not like this, this is what ought to happen. Well, as we've been discussing, um, you know, for years behind the scenes, Tubi and Cosmeda's article, Psychological Foundation of Cultures, talk about how the Western University abandoned the scientific project. Within that, because I only got a couple of minutes here, what they haven't done is the lateral integration of discipline. So what I was talking about before was just a lateral inter integration of economic overpopulation growth models and then a, a first, second, third world geopolitical model. What they're if they what they want to steer everything towards is just some kind of equilibrium rate, but they really don't know what it is because they don't have any of those frameworks coordinated so that they, they can't anticipate the effects. What they're doing is just massively moving people into the developing world, hopeful and hoping that this new um, human capital will be able to pay off the social security pensions of the boomers that are retiring. But if they're not as efficient, which they don't appear to be, and they in, and they increase the, um, the drain on the social welfare programs, then instead of actually paying for the boomers' social security programs, they're actually gonna detract from it and make the collapse occur faster. So they're not anticipating those kind of outcomes. So with really false models of, they're using just subfield economic growth models. Uh, Stiglitz makes them for the CFR, his group right there in New York. They're, since they're just using subfield models, they don't know how to gauge the collateral effects, or at least not as at least not as well as I do. Yeah, and we've seen some studies like in the Netherlands that show that it seems like the migrant population generation to generation might might be even getting worse uh, in regards to uh, crime. I know in Germany, when did wow. the Turks start to uh, make their way over there? I believe after World War One, uh, and there's still an incredible illiteracy rate. So this idea that there's picking up, they're going to take that job and they're going to be paying right into the system right away. Uh, it's been 50, 60 years in some of these cases, and it doesn't seem to be uh, represented by facts. Yeah, uh, boy, you have. Well, Herbert Gintis just died on um, oh, January 5th. And he was always talking about, A, you needed a lateral integration of disciplines. But B, he was also talking about the lack of rational actor belief preference constraint models. So in your human capital aspect of it, uh, of, of economic growth models, you're taking somebody, people that are uh, a culture, because uh, you're talking about culture before, mm -hmm. you're taking a culture that's trained in Protestant work ethic, okay, whether it's Catholic or Protestant anymore, uh, the psychological effect with the mass education system has already been imputed over to the rest of, the, of, of society, which we call culture. But then you're bringing in the new cultures that are actually raised in madrasas, where in the Hadith, it starts talking about, um, 
you know, they believe, well, they don't believe in a difference between the eternal and, and temporal, which means they don't believe in a separation of church and state. Because if you don't have a difference between the two, then you can only have the one. Yeah. So only Christian culture actually believes in the separation of church and state. Then also with that, you know, they're, they're, they're not trained in, in, in the science and STEM classes as, as, as equally. So you're going to have a different qualitative difference in the new immigrants coming in that are not integrating because they're not getting into the school system the same way. And it's going to produce a different uh, economic outcome. Yeah, I think just before moving on, one of the most yeah. aggravating things about all of these comments and the aggression that Al Gore comes and in this get over it kind of mentality, we're talking about a tremendous amount of collateral damage done by these kind of processes uh, in immigration, whether it's the massive uptick in rapes and attacks on the street. Um, all of that is what we're being told to get over, move over, because the WEF needs it. So uh, here we have, uh, I believe, uh, Rama, who is going to discuss exactly the next big attack on America, which he believes is going to be a, a cyber attack. So let's hear what he's got to say. To share the findings of the World Economic Forum's uh, Global Security Outlook uh, Report 2023. This is a result of uh, research in collaboration with the forum's communities and our partner Accenture, which we've uh, interviewed and sought input from over 300 executives globally. The most striking finding that we found is that 93% of cyber leaders and 86% of cyber business leaders believe that the geopolitical instability makes a catastrophic cyber event likely in the next two years. Now, it's, it's funny to me how all of these crises that we hear about that are coming up, the response to them is to do what these globalist groups have wanted for decades. Coincidentally, it, it always uh, their predictions always match exactly what what they would need to occur to to push their agenda a little bit more. And I think you see that uh, quite a bit with what uh, Mr. Jorgens just said. Yeah. Um... Well, since we're on the topic of, of, of UN and international organizations, there's Walter Badgett that's been talking about in the 60s and 70s mm -hmm. about how usually civil liberties are lost during times of emergency where after the emergency is over, the civil rights aren't restored, the, the state retains the power. So in this case, yeah, they're actually taking Walter Badgett's writings or George or Orwell's writings and using it as the owner's manual, <laughs> you know, rather than, you know, we need to stop this and protect individual mm -hmm. liberties. They're using it as the owner's manual to take them away. So that's the kind of the common theme between this and they'll use emotional arguments. Yeah. I, I know I do. I know I have my boring PowerPoint, um, death by PowerPoint videos on, on YouTube. <laughs> But the point of that is to go over everything slowly and, and show how a change in one framework affects a change in another. So people can think rather than emotionally react. So then they can get day-to-day -day data and then kind of have a better idea to see through people's emotional arguments like Al Gore's. Absolutely. So uh, yeah, mo moving on to our, our next clip, 
Uh, we have Ursula von der Leyen, who's the von der Leyen, yeah, von der Leyen, who's the EU Commission uh, president, and she's going to discuss kind of their their view that the next decades are going to be the greatest industrial transformation of all time. So I think the first thing that, because um, I mostly work with business, that business needs to do is deprive. Um, platforms that spread disinformation of oxygen. Stop advertising. Pull your promotion money. Make sure that they understand that they have a consequential impact on society. And oh, you know what? the boycott I, I of Twitter for several yeah. months has had a modest, modest impact. But I think the Facebook one failed. And but the necessity of getting it right in the platforms that are probably primary source information for a third to 40% of people is urgent. Now, um, yeah, so I, I gave the, the introduction for a different one uh, there. Uh, so uh, do you want to cut it or, and go back? No, it just goes. Or do you just want to go through there? Okay. Yeah. So yeah, now this comes in the wake of of our Twitter files to see that in the United States, uh, the executive branch is directly interacting with private companies and bullying them to allow certain information, to push certain information, to suppress certain ideas. Uh, so now we're also talking about this has been going with the UN uh, for for many many uh, generations now, but yeah, this idea that industry can all should also uh, shut down dissident opinion, and with the uh, with the combined efforts of big business and government, that there's no reason to to not be able to shut down the First Amendment. Yeah, with this speech generally. It, it doesn't matter who brings this argument. My answer is kind of, it's, it's always going to be the same. When they abandon, okay, if you look at Strauss and Cropsey's text, uh, you know, Leo Strauss, he talked about the importance of the nomos physis distinction as far as, you know, laws of human nature versus human ideals. Within that, you have a perpetual competition of resources and mates between people. So people are continuously treating, um, uh, competing against each other, you know, at, at, at different levels, at different strata of, of income levels or, you know, dominance groups. But they're constantly trading information on how they want to compete. So trying to stamp out all the, all the authoritarian governments have, have been trying to stamp this portion out and they can't. Whenever they do stamp it out, you get an extreme amount of either passive aggressiveness or uh, learned helplessness. So instead of economic growth, they just get a, basically a, a dead society where people stop acting at all because then you have a, a purely passive aggressive culture. So it then, uh, well, okay, getting back into from sadomasochistic relationships, you know, you have the master servant relationship instead of a free uh democratic relationship uh i'll leave it there as i would get yeah. into aristotle's six forms of government but I, i'm out of time well yes you, you have a, a father figure in the government um, and, and they're going to decide what information is good for you what information is bad for you it's ultimately kind of a desire to be a child well 
instead of um, facilitating natural competition towards uh, towards a mutually uh, towards a constructive form of competition, they view it as a psychological operation to get people in the hive mentality just to just to follow along. So they want a different psychology than actually exists. That the behavioral economics groups, which you know I'm part of, are trying to further this line of um, of reasoning, but the World Economic Forum isn't following those models yet. So you get these statements where they just want to uh, crush free speech, and it will not end well. Yes. Yeah, so uh, yes. Yes. Yeah, so uh, I think. Uh, What's important for for policy is really to change the the rules of the game, no? So that uh, sustainability becomes the easier choice, not just for the people, but also for the companies, no? So I think an important measure in Switzerland was to have uh, support for renewable energy, for energy efficiency, but also then. Um, changing the way districts work. For instance, I, in Zurich, we have a lot of districts where you actually don't need a car because all the activities, no school, um, uh, buying something, everything you can do in walking distance. No? And by doing that, no, people don't buy a car and it, 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 it's not felt like um, actually they would like to have a car and, and they're not allowed to have it, but they simply don't need it because the environment was built in a way that they don't need it. And I think this is what policy needs to, to, to do. They have to change the environment. So a sustainable lifestyle, uh, a lifestyle in harmony with nature is the easiest way to go. And, and also for the companies. No? And, and here perhaps a last point. I really like what you said on following through. No? We had all these nice commitments. We had the Paris Agreement. We also here at World Economic Forum have every year very nice co commitments. What's important is really to follow through and also to also shed the light. Sometimes you're very critical with those who are acting, say there are, and we need to be critical no? and see that there's no greenwashing, but we should also put the light on those who are not acting. And I think policy needs to try, and I think, for instance, Biden's suggestion to, that the government only buys with companies who commit to Paris, who commit to science-based targets. I think that's a smart policy. So that policy tries to leverage also the action from, from companies and somehow gets all companies to act. No? I think this is a smart way to do politics. In the end, policy needs also to be smart because, again, we need to have the buy-in from all the population, else we are not re-elected and um, change is not happening, no? Uh, so it needs to be smart policy, which is at the same time also transformative, no? So here, here we have a man who's saying that something worked in, in one city, a very homogenized city uh, with a, a tremendous amount of capital, and uh, that, that's gonna be a one-size-fits-all kind of thing that, that could be applied to Russia, to the United States, to everything, that the ideal would be to have these tight urbanized, urbanized areas where you have your mass transit and no cars, and you could just pump up the GDP and, and keep working and, uh, and, and just keep churning without, without any of the obstacles of, that freedom entails. 
Well, I, I've, I've traveled through Switzerland going different directions. Switzerland has big mountains, obviously, with the Alps. So they've always had tremendous amounts of hydroelectric power. Yeah. So they've always been um, tending towards green energy that way and using electric trains because of their natural geography. And also because it's mountainous, you, you have valley roads and you have valley uh, railways. So it's kind of linear in that respect where yes, you can just get on a train and, and go someplace where the electricity is constantly available because of the hydroelectric dams. So Switzerland is very unique in that, in that, uh, in that respect. So he's trying to take something that's unique to Switzerland and then trying to say that the whole world can do this. I mean, okay, uh, the Sahara Desert obviously doesn't, doesn't have any mountains and doesn't have any water or smaller mountains and a lot less water, obviously. So it's not gonna work there. To then start talking about uh, using solar panels, then of course you're gonna need batteries, you're, then you're gonna have to do more global strip mining for rare earth metals and those kind of metals. And then he's not calculating the damage and feasibility is with that. So there's a bunch of problems when they take a, a peculiar micro model and then try to transplant that uh, micro model onto a macro solution of geographies that just have a different situation. And then there's, I don't know, well, okay, well, I'll end it there. There's, you could break down that guy's statement and segments, because then he ends with, well, wouldn't it be great if you had more government, private enterprise uh, collusion? Well, that's the definition of fascism. So I, you know, he so he goes from making a, a false micro macro comparison and then starts talking about fascism. Boy, I I, I bet you he wants to expand democracy too. <laughs> yeah, and I mean that that goes to to our, our theme uh, of the whole event of just justifying uh, small groups of people having an incredible amount of control over the masses in almost every regard, from, right. from the speech that you have to what uh, your, your ability to drive a car. So that's not a not a future that, that looks exciting. Well, another thing I want to bring up, uh, because it's, it's pertinent, Hans Morgenthau, University of Chicago uh, political science professor, in his 1955 writing, always talked about yeah he is another straussian a different straussian than me though um talked about the dual state theory to get people in the law enforcement intelligence communities that would uh not pay attention to political vicissitudes and pay more focus on what it takes for the state to maintain it's one of those things that you know, you can tell if you want some uh, some stability in government and not change too much at the whims of change of each president. OK, it, you can understand that. But by its very defi definition, it's it's anti-democratic. And his um, and his 1955 writing has been very much pursued by the grand strategies courses at Yale 
Harvard, uh, Naval War College is where, is where they three places that teach that in Oxford where McKinder started in 1898. But you can see that's where the modern SES class deep state has, has come into play. That has, uh, well, we saw it during the, the Trump years where they clearly weaponized the different law enforcement organizations against Trump supporters. All right, now I believe that this is um, a clip about Hollywood and how media companies are trying to further normalize homosexuality. And of all the clips here, this one was kind of maybe even the strangest in a, in a collection of pretty strange ones, because there's, um, you'll see, but there, the discussion is uh, about this connection between these groups and Hollywood. So let's hear what she's saying. Um, normalizing LGBTQ folks, including us in all stories. So that's the other piece that I think is really important. And we've worked really closely with Hollywood on this. We are all connected in the LGBTQ community. So we would help you find the right people on the ground to advise you in that culture. It's really important that you're acting within the culture that you're in and you're speaking within the culture that you are. But, um, and I think it's what you mentioned about getting ahead of it instead of coming behind it um, and understanding the cultural landscape and playing out from a PR standpoint what's going to could happen or not happen. Um, but you have to do it. Now we're talking about sexual preference as a, as a culture in and of itself. And I think that when we were just talking about immigration, when we talk about these issues, it would seem as if the goal is to create fra fraction, fra factions within our society. And this just happens to be another one, small little blocks of groups that could be played against each other uh, in a way to ensure overall power. Yes. Um, the Well, talking about the, the Frankfurt School before, yeah, mm -hmm. Marcusa was very much for uh, getting different groups in the um to form the, you know different identity groups and then having competing uh identity groups which always which then fragment society yeah. but what i wanted to get at was uh john maynard smith started the idea of evolutionary stable strategies in the early 70s and then the whole uh, narrow evolutionary psychology group kind of evolved from that so what you get with religions when you get into that thought lineage is religions always gravitate towards an evolutionary stable strategy for that particular climate especially if you get into gene culture coevolution because i mentioned um herbert gintis before so usually they'll come a culture will commemorate the the um the processes or the daily customs and habits that it took for them to survive in that environment over time, then their cultural identity is then tied to those cultural and religious habits. So she's talking about a greater acceptance for everybody, which is which is good, not arguing that you know anybody should mis mistreat anybody else, but it's coming at the expense of evolutionary stable strategies. And then when you start talking about we don't have enough population replacement to pay off our social security program, 
Well, part of it is because we've left religion and, and evolutionary stable strategies. So she wants to go to more of an evolutionary unstable strategy, but that only magnifies the other, um, the other, well, eventually they're going to turn into economic and financial problems. We're $31 trillion in debt with mass immigration and the movement away from evolutionary stable strategies, that debt is going up. We weren't supposed to hit 30 trillion until 2027. I was expecting high inflation for the past 10 years when we hit 30 trillion. Uh, we're hitting it five years early. I expected rampant inflation at 35 trillion. We weren't supposed to hit that till 2033. We're gonna be at that uh, at the end of Biden's term. Yeah, you know, I think so this is, yeah. I, I always wonder on this one, one of the basis of uh, bases of of kind of the psychoanalytic psychology uh, is that at the root of all neurosis there is uh, an attempt to alleviate responsibility uh, attempt to say it away and when I look at these kind of issues uh, and specifically or what a massive increase in trans uh, people around the world, I, I wonder to myself, is this an attempt by this person to reduce their responsibility? I think to be a man, to have those responsibilities, to have all those things, I think there would be something almost intoxicating about saying, well, no, I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually, actually a woman. And I, I don't, I don't want these responsibilities. Yeah. Well, well we we're talking about from before his, um, his his productive versus sadomasochistic dichotomy. He he goes into several sections. You know, talking about how masochism. The catchphrase there is people will in in different ways. They'll keep on repeating the world is mistreating me. The world mm -hmm. is mistreating me. The world is mistreating me. And what they don't do is take self responsibility. So his productive character orientation as far as taking a hundred percent responsibility actually you know is um correlates to jocko willing's uh book mm -hmm. about taking a hundred percent responsibility because in his recent interview with joe rogan he was talking about if a leader comes out and says hey i didn't you know this 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 training session failed because i didn't give the right directions right let's let's run it again my fault he says well then the other junior leaders in the other areas of the of the operation will then start saying, well, I could have done this better and I could have done this better. So what he's explaining is if the leader takes self-responsibility, then it's a positive uh, behavioral dynamic going down the line of other people taking responsibility. But if he talks about situ training situations where the leader doesn't take responsibility, then everyone else starts pointing the mm -hmm. finger and you get a negative dynamic. So his 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 book about taking a hundred percent responsibility is very consistent with Fromm's, and so you know this new divisive uh, uh, what do they call it uh, anyway? It it creates a negative uh, dynamic where you know oh, intersectionalism is the word I was looking mm, for. Yes, everyone starts pointing the finger at everybody else, saying, "Well, no, members. it's their it's their fault. I'm not." accept it when usually people judge each other as far as performance. I mean, it, 
it's almost peak death drive, right? And, you know, kind of going to Freud's talk or uh, Fromm's talk of necrophilia. I mean, what could what could represent uh, the necrophilia urge greater than destroying your own sex organs? Des oh. Destroying the root of life. Yeah, it, it really fits in well with that uh, that theory. Well, yeah, Fromm spent his entire life trying to take the rough ideas of Fromm's um, Beyond the Pleasure Principle, yeah. 1923 yeah. book, and he perfected that that theory into something, uh, uh, you know, from just an, a rough idea to a coherent theory that absorbs all the other psychological personality theories. But yeah, when the psyche, well, in my model, I use cognition, life force, instinctual drives and cognition, because a healthy psyche is the integration of all three. And an unhealthy psyche is the disintegration of all three. So usually, you know, with the old theories, I, I realize, you know, I'm talking about old school psychology. Here. <laughs> yeah, but no, yeah, that's uh, the old school psychology is is not accepted anymore. But we're going to see the outcome because the suicide rates are going up. So that would tend to support the old school Freudian theories, not the new school uh, infinitely malleable theories. Uh, Pinker talked about that in his 2002 book, uh, Talbot Raza, but and Jordan Peterson talks about it. Yeah, I think just the theme there, though, of of keep an eye out on what you're seeing. I think we all we all are very aware of Hollywood's influence and media influence and what commercials do. And I mean, here here we have just a blatant admission that people are trying to change your opinion by influencing your media, by influencing the things that you watch. And uh, I mean, that some could call that a psyop. Well, yeah. And the other thing is, is you know, they're taking their problems and saying that societies are going to have to change. And again, I, I go back to why I spend so much time integrating the political, economic, geopolitical frameworks is because they're not talking about, well, you know, what are the, what are, what's the outcome of this going to be? So we're moving from an evolutionary stable strategies and religion to, to, to something else. I mean, they wouldn't say it's a non-evolutionary stable strategies because they're not, uh, they're not, they're not even aware that that even, even exists. So then they can't understand any any negative ripple effects that may occur 5, 10, 15, 20 years later. Of course, actually, it creates instability across the board. All right. So that is uh, kind of our, our review of the World Economic Forum. These were the highlights we thought were the most important for everyone to hear. Uh, I think there is... Often when you talk about these organizations, you get accused of having these kind of conspiracy theories or, or spreading fake information about their agenda, but they're pretty clear with their agenda uh, coming into this and in their own words, as, as all these people want, your, your speech is a problem, your, your medical privacy is a problem. Your desire to drive a car is a problem. Your, your agitation, with non-consensual migration is a problem. Um, all, all of our human drives are are, uh, are problematic, and these guys know better than us, so we we ought to just shut up and and listen. Yeah, um, yeah. The the one world hive government.
it, it it's it's a deep topic because there's essentially only three metaphysic three metaphysical choices god as a supreme being man as a supreme being or nature as a supreme being so they're usurping they're taking out the god as a supreme being and it's and they're favoring climate so they've narrowed it down to 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 two choices so they're trying to form the one world government but if the life force as being is designed to go towards an eternal it's obviously it's automatically going to resist going towards a one world government so going back to the Tubian and Cosmetis paper psychological foundations of culture towards the end they they talk about well eventually there's going to be some kind of backlash if we go towards the infinitely malleable uh premise away from well the domain specific okay the uh the strong instinctual drive hardwire premise and towards an infinitely malleable premise if man is not infinitely malleable well then it will snap back and it will fail if man is infinitely malleable then everybody will follow along so in leftist thinking what that follows the infinitely malleable premise they think that if they can just temporarily stop free speech and just get over this hump, then you have utopia in the future. But again, the Western university system has avoided performing autopsies on failed Marxist experiments. Really after the 1990s, every university in the world should have been doing nothing but doing autopsies on the failed Marxist experiments. Instead, they did the opposite and avoided them at all costs because increasing socialist bureaucracies is a professor's, uh, is an academician's path towards power and influence. Mm -hmm. A bourgeois society doesn't need them. They just need technical schools and Sunday schools. On this so, journey towards uh, this infinitely malleable society, I often wonder if what we're seeing with gender dysphoria, non-defensive aggression, uh, mass shootings and such, uh, the rise of mental illnesses of all kinds, are, are exactly that response, uh, kind of the snapping back, this, this agitated oh. hydraulic model where we've been pushed so far from norms that there's just these violent explosions. And, and I would predict if we keep going this towards this direction that we're going to see more and more of it, more and more psychotic behavior. And it will all yeah. be blamed on guns, of course. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you, you bring up a deep point because if you go from the hardwired versus infinitely malleable premise and you go just towards uh, the infinitely malleable premise, yeah, you're gonna see problems and it's not gonna be in just one political group on the on the different right left spectrums that you have it's going to be across all ranges uh actually and okay and society is obviously polarizing so it it that's indicative of uh, of of the backlash i was watching the extinction rebellion videos yesterday where those protesters you know whether it be the earth liberation front groups of the of the of the 80s and 90s or the ones that are destroying uh classic works of art you know relatively recently 
they'll either, yeah, they'll either destroy something or they'll stand out in the middle of the road or lay across railroad tracks. These are very passive aggressive masochistic behaviors because they're saying, oh, if you move me out of the way, you know, the world is mistreating me again, like Fromm keeps on saying, or if you run me over with your car, well, then you're mistreating me. You know, when you're simply trying to get home from work because you work two jobs, you're trying to get from one job to the other, or you're trying to go pick up your kids from school, drop them off so you can go back to your night job so you can make a living. Instead, they have to create these false conflicts to reinforce in their own minds that the world is mistreating them, but they've got to create the circumstances for the world to mistreat them. Uh, so these psychological projections and and the and the psychological problems are are just or they're they're yeah they're exploding. And that's uh, one of the scarier aspects of looking forward. Uh, so yeah, I think that's a, a good place to wrap it up here. Uh, thank you, George, and um, we'll uh, catch you next time.